0: Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Meke Lozano. I have a lot of really exciting things to share with you today. Starting with the podcast on July 8th, We will be having a book study on the first four chapters of the book, The Good Shepherd and the Child, A Joyful Journey. This will be a four-part series on the podcast, and we invite everyone to join us. On the website, we will have questions about the chapters for you to journal with or to gather virtually or in person with a group of friends. For more information, watch our website, social media, and if you regularly get emails from us, watch that too. I will put a link in the show notes for you to purchase this book for our book study. We will be using the 2013 edition with that beautiful brownish-yellow-reddish cover. I am really looking forward to doing this with everyone. We have some amazing guests that are coming on the show to dive into these chapters with us. You don't want to miss it. This week's topic is so great. We have Elizabeth Calanchini on the show with us to share about the infant-toddler atrium. This is a new area of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, and I've really enjoyed learning more about this age child and how we serve them through this work. I would just like to say a quick apology to everyone for the sound on my end during this interview. My family and I just moved, and the blank walls in my bedroom had more effect on the sound than I had anticipated, so please forgive me, but the wisdom that Elizabeth shares in this interview is profound, and I hope that you really enjoy listening. Welcome, Elizabeth, to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. We are very honored and glad that you are here with us today.
1: Thank you, Carrie. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Elizabeth, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd?
1: Sure. Um, I took my Casa de Bambini training after graduating from college, and then during my first six years of teaching the little ones, I took the assistance to infancy training over a couple of summers, and at the end of that six years, I went to Bergamo and took my six to 12 elementary Montessori training, and this was a Catholic Montessori school, so they had a prayer table and some of the catechesis materials, and I slowly began to take the catechesis formation as well through those years. Kept going back to the catechesis formation over and over again, Um, eventually became a level one formation leader, and And then in 2014, Rebecca asked if I'd give a breakout session about the littlest ones at the 60th anniversary in Arizona, because Mm -hmm. she knew that at the school in Virginia, we were working with the toddlers in the toddler environment and had been looking at this and experimenting and so forth. So that began this particular part of the journey. So, Mm -hmm.
0: and so now you work with people who are interested in being formed specifically in the infant toddler atrium, is that correct?
1: Yes, so out of that came a request from someone abroad, would you share this information with us? Um, We heard you're doing this work and it turned into a sort of informal formation, if you will, and mm-hmm. then the desire to continue sharing it turned it into what is now known as Seminal Infant-Toddler Catechesis, or Level T on the website. So it's it's still very seminal and emerging, and mm-hmm. it has its roots in oh, I think it has its roots in the beginning. (laughs) And that becomes clear to me every time I think about it. But really, if we go back to Dr. Montessori's vision for the child and that early assistance to infancy work, and then there's Sophia herself and Jonna and their writings and their work. And you really see the seeds of what this is and what it's becoming in all of their writings it's been there all along Um, how could it not be you know especially when you think of their rich experience with the three to six year olds and Sophia was well known to give this answer to those who asked you know about the adolescent yes there here are some hints about the adolescent but this must go younger first Mm -hmm. Um, so when she was asked in an interview for essential realities What do you hope for the future of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd? She said that it will go younger and younger.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: And I was, I only met her once and near the end of her earthly life. And I was one of the people that she said that to. (laughs) So who knew that this day would come, Um, but it's, it's been a wonderful journey.
0: Well, I'm really excited to learn from you more about the infant toddler and how we serve them with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, because this is one area of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd that I really know very little about. And um, I, besides having had infant toddlers myself, that's the only experience that I have. Let's start at the beginning. Who is the infant toddler?
1: That's a huge question it is. <laughs> for a little <laughs> tiny person. Um they're such a mystery they're the greatest mystery of course being the youngest and they are the ones that lead the way Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that help us discover just as with every level of the catechesis help us discover what this work is who they are most importantly Um, and in the discovery of who they are we come to know ourselves better as well and we come to know the Good Shepherd better. So it almost seems easier to start with the environments. Um, Mm.
0: So what is the environment? How, How do we change the environment to serve that child?
1: So to first recognize who they are and what their environments are, it's a little different in this age group. So what are the environments we have for the child in level one, two, and three? We have a set atrium environment that looks different in every culture and setting, but it's still, we know that canon well by now, you know, Mm -hmm. what would that environment contain and um, that it's a place of prayer with particular materials lifting up these themes of liturgy and scripture. For the littlest ones, it's different because what could we say is their first atrium, their first physical environment? The womb? The womb. So we have the womb, the home, the church. And then we also have a possibility of having, and this is a part of this that really needs to be enfleshed even further, a nido atrium. that's the Italian word for little nest. And when you take the assistance to infancy AMI course you learn about that environment as well as a toddler environment. So Anita would be for children who are just sitting up or even scooting or crawling, but not yet walking steadily. Mm -hmm. And then the toddler environment is for children who are walking steadily, able to hold something up to age three. Mm -hmm. So about 14, 16 months to age three. So we're really looking at four or five different physical environments. Um, which is a little different than the other levels where we have the church, the domestic church of the home, and then the, the atrium for the child. And I think, you know, during this time of the virus, we've seen this rise of the domestic church, which is really beautiful. And that recognition again of the parents as the first Mm -hmm, catechist. And that's most particularly true for the children of age zero to three in this seminal formation it's important that we find ways if the parents aren't in the formation or the grandparents of the children to share with them this content. So it's it's a little different than the other levels in that respect in that the parents are these catechists but there's also catechists that can prepare an environment outside the home, just like we have in level one, two and three for the young children, mm-hmm. potentially two different environments
0: so am I hearing you correctly that for the infant toddler, you, are, you have the parents in the room with you working with the children, or you're asking the parents separately to, to work with the children in their homes, or is it both?
1: Well, th- th- all of that is possible. So there's a range of different ways this can look. Certainly, we want the parents to know what they might consider offering in the home. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. So we look at what could you offer to the child in the womb? What could you offer to the child in the home? Mm. And what could you offer to the child in an external atrium environment like we have for the other levels? And the parents, when they come to those external environments, yes, very often it's important to have the parents with them. Not necessarily the catechist that's working with them, but with the child, because that's a time when they still have a need to be fed by their mother, perhaps, or to be changed, so forth. So all Mm -hmm. of that is part of this, their meals and their toileting and so forth. So it's helpful to have the parents there, but it's also a beautiful thing to have the parent there because we're not, we want the parent to be a witness to this as well, and perhaps even a participant in it, depending on how you set it up. This is really up to each individual who enters into this work, you know, do I have the parent catechizing their own child in the environment the whole time or do I have them sitting to the side observing and their child is free to separate from them when they're ready and enter into the environment and then the trained catechist works with the child. There are different possibilities, but the main part of it is really to look at who is this child. What mm-hmm. should this environment be like? And speaking with one of the catechists who's going into her fourth or fifth year of doing this now, and she said, you know, most of the time it doesn't require that much work on our part. The children are so independent, and they'll even help each other that we can sit and observe. So, um, but she's been working with the other catechists, working with her for that same number of years. They had the formation in, in the U.S., which was in Iowa. You know, those are choices that you make, but it's really beautiful to see that if you have an area set to the side of one of these external atrium environments, the parents can sit there with the child and there's a shelf with some of the materials they need. And the child can choose when they separate from the parent Mm -hmm. and go explore the wider environment, so to speak. And the parent has that opportunity to observe and to be in prayer. And parents in settings like this have said it's so peaceful just a nice time to be there in prayer with their child, whether it's at a distance or not.
0: That's really beautiful. It sounds like it's very respectful of each of the children at that very vulnerable age, um, where wherever they, their needs are in regards to their needs with their mother or their father. And it also is so neat because it Like you said, it encourages that domestic church a little bit, where some parents feel inadequate or they don't know how. By just bringing them into this this infant toddler atrium, you're almost giving them some of the tools. These, like, see how beautiful and simple this is, and feeding them as well. That's really beautiful. I really like that.
1: Me too, and it's it draws on all those rich traditions of our faith too that maybe came from our grandparents or great grandparents and our own parents and how how do we offer that most essential food to the youngest Mm -hmm. so knowing who they are going back to the question you asked me before is is (laughs) important who who is the youngest child so we know that the most important thing is relationship that they come already in relationship and they desire to have this relationship nurtured and how is that nurtured through their activity through movement and through language and through what we offer to them because they're the youngest we have to look at what is most essential so what is even more essential than what we offer in level one Mm. so if we take those same great themes and say how can we offer them in an even more essential way so that's, that's the work that we were really doing at the school in Virginia is looking at all three levels of the catechesis and saying, what are these themes? What is a way to offer these most essential imprints, this most essential language, these most essential experiences to the very youngest?
0: And what did you find?
1: Well, we found that because they're in the sensitive period for movement, they notice movement so some of the things that we notice they gravitated towards very early on are particular ways of moving such as processing they love to process (laughs) so what does that call on us as the catechist to provide something to process with Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and where have they noticed this processing in the liturgy and what do they see being processed with what's the biggest most notable articles that are being processed with the crucifix, the Holy Bible. So how do we offer something to them that's the right size for them so that they can do this too? So one of the materials we have is the small San crucifix like you'd have in your baptism corner on a pole in a stand next to the prayer table.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What do we see in terms of the language? If we think of the young child, the three to six year old and saying, counter words, and how carefully we offer them this rich language of scripture and liturgy with the youngest child. One word is a precious pearl. One word is such a treasure that they will take it in and hear that one word over and over again, matched with that article. So we have some articles from The mass just like we'd have in the sacristy cabinet Mm -hmm. and articles for the sacrament of baptism in beautiful boxes and they learn the names of those articles just one at a time Mm -hmm. and what we've seen over time is around age two or two and a half the children will start to take them and set them like they're setting an altar table Mm. because there's been that absorption of what they yeah. see at mass or what they see but again we don't give them that same presentation that you would receive in level one so we don't give them alter one two and three but we give them those names just the name of the article match the name to the article which is what's in the canon of the AMI assistance to infancy as a language material so you have language materials that are the real article itself then you have replicas then you have picture cards then you have replicas that match picture cards so we look at all of that and say what out of what we could offer do we want to give to this youngest child because it's such a rich time they're in that sensitive period for language taking in new words and holding each of these words as a treasure
2: Mm.
0: I like the way you called it a precious pearl so like you're you're putting the chalice there on your little altar. And instead of giving a, a slight explanation like we would in level one, you're just saying chalice, giving that precious probe just the word.
1: Right. But we don't even put it on the altar. We just lift that object out of a box and name it and put mm-hmm. it down in front of the child so they can hold it. So it's, it's a language presentation. If there comes a time when they would like to set it, like it's on an altar table, that's their work. Mm-hmm. So we're not doing that. That would be their discovery themselves at that point. And maybe they will end up doing that. and Maybe they won't. Maybe that will be something they don't do until they're in the level one atrium Mm -hmm. and they receive that presentation. But we do see them arriving at that point where they spontaneously do that themselves. And a catechist described to me how a young child who particularly loved baking bread in the toddler atrium and always worked with the mass articles, came and opened the box and took out the chalice and went around to every other child in the room saying, the blood of Christ, and holding out the chalice, (laughs) and then went back to the table and took the patent and went around and said to all the other children, the body of Christ. Now, that's not language that was offered to that child with that material or even with any other presentation in that level atria. But where would she take in this language and that movement of those sacred vessels in the liturgy? So that's her making that connection, that discovery and having the freedom to do that because she has the material, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very communal. And that's the reason why we would say, why not just offer whatever you're going to offer in the home? Why have an external environment for a child that young? But Again, that's the same answer to the question we have for all the other environments, that it's a personal place of prayer for those children, a place where their prayer is not determined by the rest of their family or their parents or their... It's a place just for them, where everything is their size. It's for them. So it gives them that independence in their own prayer life.
0: It gives them something physical to express what's going on inside of them, which we know from Sophie and Gianna that there is definitely something going on inside of them.
1: Yes, and it's so fascinating. I just listened to this program about babies where they were talking about how they did this study to try and discover how is it that babies acquire language. And there are only certain animals that have the capacity to hear a language either of their own species or another species such as a parrot for instance and then mimic that language and songbirds are one of these so they studied songbirds and they found that the movement of the wings lit up in the brain right next to the same area that lights up for language and that there's a connection between these two between movement and language that the way that a movement is acquired and refined and the way that language is acquired and refined have a similar I guess trajectory would be the right way to say it and that this is also true in humans Mm -hmm. Uh, it's fascinating because language is so complex but yet we don't teach the young child every word we don't teach them how to take every step this is something that they themselves do Mm -hmm. Um, and we invite how do we invite them to take that next step to say that next word by offering them a prepared environment an environment that recognizes who they are and meets their needs that knows what their sensitive periods are that understands the characteristics of the young child that knows that they have these religious capacities and needs even from that moment of conception that they are in that relationship that they are in a space of prayer if we think about the the womb and what it's like before the child can even hear they already are in this listening space, mm. this silence right mm. and then as they acquire the ability to hear which is very young in the womb what do they begin to hear the mother's heartbeat the waters of the womb the and then the eventually the voices of the parents and music and so forth but first they're in that silent listening space in that relationship with their creator so they're already in this atrium this space of prayer in the best position of prayer. And we, we know that even there are movements, um, there's studies that show that when the mother puts her body in certain prayer positions, such as kneeling, the infant in her womb mimics that movement.
0: Wow, I've never heard of that. That's amazing.
1: So they're very sensitive to all of those things, to movement, to language.
0: But it sounds like the infant-toddler atrium does a really good job of meeting those needs that, meeting those specific characteristics of the child, to that age child.
1: Well, that's the goal. It's certainly, it's an exploration. You know, we know the canon, the Montessori canon of what would you offer to a child that age. And we know the themes of the catechesis and now the work is to really observe to offer to offer to them and to observe and there will be that same sort of necessity for a closet of humility you know does everything we offer is it a match or are there things that we put out and realize they don't need those really looking for what is most essential
0: mm-hmm. so if i were to walk into an infant toddler atrium what would i see that would look similar or different from when i walk into a level 1 atrium
1: you'd see a prayer table so if we think of our main four materials in a level one atrium you would see a good shepherd It would just be a little bit bigger and chunkier less sheep <laughs> but you would see those two but you wouldn't see a baptism corner or a model altar instead you'd have these boxes with those articles in them you would also see something that you would that takes up quite a big space in the room that you wouldn't see in and this depends on space to one of these materials, but you would potentially see a movement material such as the bridge. If there wasn't space, you might not see that. But ideally you would always see a communal eating table, Mm. communal meal table, which means every child in that atrium is able to sit down and have a meal at the same time together. So we know that we don't serve snack in a level one, two or three atrium. The purpose of this is not just because these young children might be hungry during the time they're there, but it's really that communal place where they share together. So it's imaging that Eucharistic meal, mm. but it's a shared meal with those children. And this is one of the things that most builds that community amongst them because mm-hmm. what, is, what happens in their home, hopefully they're, they're eating meals with their family they're seeing what this is like but this is a meal where they're sitting down together after having prepared the table and even the food itself and seeing how they can serve one another and one of the things they love to do is clear the table and wash the dishes so all that practical life Mm -hmm. is such a big part of this and it's so satisfying to them to have that happen and because if one child starts setting the table and another one sees they all end up there right Mm -hmm. so that that's one of the things that creates this community is their own desire to come together not just because it's food but because it's that communal experience Mm -hmm.
0: a a person i used to work with used to say that jesus built community through meals like he would eat with people and built community with them so us in ministry should do the same it's like eat with people to build community. And that sounds like you're meeting the need of that infant toddler by community. They need community. They are communal at that age. And so you're you're meeting the need by bringing them all together to eat together. That's really cool.
1: It is, yeah. It's...
0: So I heard you mention the Good Shepherd and the articles of the mass, like the chalice and the paten, and the articles of baptism and a prayer table. Are there any other... Bible or liturgy presentations or materials that you have in the infant-toddler atrium?
1: There are. So for instance, if you think through your level one themes, what could we offer in terms of geography, prophecies, infancy narratives, Paschal narratives? So we've, we've looked at each of those areas and thought, what is most essential? And um, what could we offer to the littlest ones? And we found that one of the important things is not just what should we offer what's most essential but how we offer it makes a difference so for instance to put out an infancy narrative with more essential verses but instead of putting it on the shelf and taking it off the shelf and showing it to one child at a time giving it a designated table for a period of time so the children can just go sit down and it's already there Mm. And then retiring it to the shelf and putting out the next one, depending on how many we offer. Again, to give it that bigger invitation, if you will. You know, it's there, it's ready for them, it's at a table. To have a prayer card making table. So hopefully that's something we see in every level atria. But the little ones love this just as much as the older ones. But of course, when they make a prayer card, it looks different than a level three child with their beautiful calligraphy. But what we're also finding is that even if they're just pasting an image on a piece of paper or the catechist is writing a one word prayer card for them and then they're decorating it with an image, that they often reach for the writing implement held by the catechist. There's this recognition of, I can do that work myself. Mm -hmm. I can write myself. And at that age, they have perfect pencil grip too so what writing implement can we offer when that happens so we don't put it into their hand and give a writing presentation per se but if they reach for that is there something we can offer them so that we can decrease and they can increase and that becomes their work
0: what about being a catechist what about that part of the environment what does it look like to be a catechist for the infant toddler
1: Well, I think it requires the greatest discipline (laughs) to be with the youngest requires the greatest discipline because it's not about, you know, we're so used to, I have all these things to offer, all these things to teach. And we know that we need to be restrained with every age, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But it's particularly true with the littlest ones. So true, in fact, that it's not about teaching them. It's more about modeling for them until they pick it up themselves. So it's constant modeling and much more than anything, it's really cultivating the art of observation Mm -hmm. because that's the only way we know what they need next because they're so pre-verbal, the younger they are. Mm -hmm. And how do they show us who they are and what they need? It's almost these micro expressions of the face and the eyes important to really learn to observe their body language but also their face and their eyes to be willing to sit back until we know they need us so for instance how would you know they need you maybe crying or maybe physically crawling or walking over Mm -hmm. but they also might just look at you holding back until we're really needed and then even then they might end up helping each other or finding a solution themselves. So we expect to see, just like we would for the three to six-year-old, we expect to see wandering. But is wandering some sort of aimless, I'm just wandering because I need somebody to attach me to something? Sometimes, but it's also, we expect it. It's also the child moving through the room listening for that invitation, looking for that invitation. And this is particularly true of the littlest ones. So for a three to six year old, there are things that we wouldn't show them right away, right? So if they're looking for something and they take something off the shelf that they might not receive for a few years, we might show them how to dust it or name it for them, but we wouldn't necessarily have to give that presentation in that moment for the toddlers it's different this is such an incarnate way that we expect them to be able to take anything off the shelf and work with it so that calls on us to really prepare that environment with that in mind because very often their early work is right at the shelf itself Mm -hmm. they may take four or five things off the shelf you know, and leave them scattered throughout the room as they move around. So what you see at the beginning of the year versus what you'd see at the end or even in their second year in that environment is radically different depending on what they see modeled. So restoring that order is the work of the adults initially, and then the children begin to do it. And there's always that invitation for them, but there's not that expectation that you will sit still until I've given a presentation and then it's your turn. Mm Mm-hmm so once they reach out to touch something in a presentation they're in touch with that material so that's a moment for us to stop and step back and Mm -hmm. and let them enjoy it and then maybe the next moment will come at that time and maybe it will come another day for instance flower arranging Mm -hmm. you know maybe they just like to hold the flowers and smell them maybe they put them in the vase without the water that doesn't that's doesn't matter because they're engaged with the material. So there will come those later moments when they'll realize, Oh, I can put some water in there first. <laughs> so forth.
0: The, this beautiful aged child is so good at seeing the beauty that's right in front of them and just being at present with the beauty and what a prayer that is in itself. Like what you're just saying with the flower arranging, like it's not, it's a, it's a prayer. It's not about each of the steps necessarily in, right at that time. So if the child is just sitting there gazing at the flower or just puts it in the vase like you just mentioned, um, God, how they they are experiencing prayer in a moment with God by reflecting on his beauty.
1: They invite us to look again at everything with that great wonder, don't they? They're a constant invitation to that gift of wonder, the wonder of creation, the gift of who they are and who we are. Again, at every age, we receive more from the child than they receive from us, but particularly the youngest.
0: That beautiful gift of wonder and awe. I wonder if that's one of the great mysteries of the kingdom of God that the infant toddler offers us.
1: I think that's very true. In fact, thinking of those kingdom parables, for instance, what is the most essential way we can offer the mystery of those five kingdom parables that we offer in level one?
0: The mustard
1: seed. The child is the mustard seed, aren't they? I mean, mm-hmm. the brilliance of Sophia and Jonah to offer that to a three-year-old child, in in those three moments, knowing that this is exactly what the child's living at that age, around two, two and a half, three. You know that that bursting forth of their own dominion and this me do it and this newfound independence, this power that's in the seed Mm -hmm. so they're literally living these parables so that's what we offer them our materials to help them live the work of those kingdom parables hence the baking of bread for instance and then how much more will that be carved into their heart and their body and their mind when they hear the parable just a few years later because their hands have done that work They have tasted the fruits of their own labor of God's creation. They have shared this with one another.
0: I love that they are living out those parables. They are physically growing like the mustard seed and living out that mystery in a very particular way. That's so cool. You definitely are making me want to serve the infant toddler or co-wonder alongside the infant toddler. If I if I wanted to do the formation for the infant toddler atrium, Elizabeth, how would I go about doing that?
1: Well, there um, first of all, if you look at the CGS USA website under formations, it's called Level T. Mm-hmm. But there are two that are upcoming that will start. You know, as part one, part two, they're usually offered as part one, part two, um, much like the other levels. And one will be in the fall in the greater Northwest, and the other will be in the spring in Arizona at the national office, where they have a beautiful toddler atria um, with a space for adults.
0: So if I'm interested in the formation, then I can go onto the website and just keep looking there until there's more concrete days. There's not very many of these eight, of these formations, is that correct?
1: There aren't. Um, so- because there are a limited number of people offering them. So right. that, that's the main reason. Um,
0: so I just need to keep looking. at.
1: Yes. Yeah, so if you watch the website, you'll see.
0: Well, Elizabeth, do you have a time in the atrium with the infant toddler that you would like to share with us? Maybe really showed God or maybe really showed, touched your heart as working with the infant toddler in their atrium?
1: I think what touched me the most was my initial experience in this was years and years ago with my nieces and nephews so Mm -hmm. when i was five years into teaching four or five years and took that assistance to infancy and was in a level two or three catechesis formation for the first time i asked the formation leader could i do something with children under the age of three and she said well you've got this montessori training and you know the catechesis. You you could. This is what I used to do with my infants: sing them a different Alleluia every time I changed their diaper and so forth. And mm-hmm. so I started a little atrium. Um, I took a year off working full time for the school, and I had to. It had to move three different times. It wasn't a sustainable, long term thing in my life or in those environments, unfortunately. But I learned so much, and one of the most beautiful experiences was just gathering at the prayer table with them and how simple that was just brief little moments of singing and coming together in silence, turning the lights off, lighting the candle, relighting it so each one could snuff it at the end. <laughs> um, but one little girl really taught me that value of, of the, each word being a precious pearl. Well, more than one of them did actually, but, um, One of my little nieces picked up the patent one day and and went and showed it to each of the other children, naming it Patton. But before she named it, she'd say their name and then she'd hold it out. Patton, Mm -hmm. Patton. And there was a little girl who lived down the street from my sister, which is where we had this first atrium in her basement. And she said, you know, I'm surprised she's agreed to come with her child because they go everywhere in the town together they usually don't separate that much but i guess because it's right down the street so anyway she came and put her daughter in the atrium and the next week she came to me and she said i need to talk to you and i thought oh dear did something already happen <laughs> You know. and she just said i want to know what you said about the holy bible um or what did you say about the holy bible and i said well let me show you and i invited her into the room and i lifted the Holy Bible off the prayer table and I named it the Holy Bible and I placed it back on the prayer table. I said, that's all we did. And she said, well, my daughter came home and she went through our house and her father is a musician who works in the um, movie industry and he had they had two homes side by side. The other one was his sound studio. And so she spent the whole afternoon going through both of these homes looking for something and finally found this little... Gideon's Bible that her sister had been given in high school and started carrying it everywhere. Mm. She would put it next to her when she ate dinner. She'd have it next to her when she took a bath, when she slept. And they would walk through the town and she would hold it in her hands as they walked through the town. And whenever somebody said, what do you have? She'd say, the Holy Bible. Wow. And she did that for quite some time. Every once in a while, I'd check in with her mother. Is she still carrying the Bible around today? (laughs) So the impression that that made. um, Anyway, that little group taught me a lot. It It was wonderful.
0: I love that because you were so essential. It touched that child's heart. That's really beautiful. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much. Thank you so much for all the work that you have done for the infant toddler. You've done so much work and we really appreciate it. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. We really appreciate you.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for this time. And thank you to all those generous parents and children and, and our ancestors in this work, so to speak, <laughs> for the gift of this work. Yes, thank you so much.
0: Back in February of 2020, Elizabeth had an infant-toddler formation, and two of the participants had some beautiful reflections and stories from either their formation or time with the infant-toddler that we would like to share with you now.
3: My name is Laurel, and I am a catechist trained in level one, and well, toddler level one, and I will finish my level two this summer. And I... Um, an adoptive mother of three, not serving in an atrium right now, uh, and when we started this training last fall summer <laughs> summer, I think one of the things that really struck me was aiding the child to understand who they are in God's plan, and I think uh, it's especially relevant to an adoptive child who uh, maybe has comes to that understanding a little bit differently. Uh, being able to offer them the the genealogy of Jesus and their place in history and salvation history, and what especially struck me was reading through the genealogy of Jesus and and coming to Joseph and understanding that everybody who came before there was this blood lineage. And relationship and then we arrive at Jesus who has Joseph as a foster father and how through Jesus there's a new blood and that new blood is in the church and in Christ and in the life of Christ and so the journey's really just begun but to be able to have that to ponder and to offer through the atrium experience as the child comes to know who Jesus is and and who they are, I think, will be exceptionally helpful for um, our boys and perhaps other families that have children through adoption as well. So that's probably one of my favorite things uh, thus far. And then just understanding how we are all created from the dust of the earth and the importance of keeping the very young child in touch with creation and um getting to do that with my seven month old now and kind of getting to live this through him and with him has been really incredible and just to watch his responses to being in nature um, often and experiencing creation and just watching him as he as he is in those settings
2: my name is kathy i'm from bloomington minnesota and I am trained in level T, level 1, level 2, and I will be completing my level 3 training this summer. Uh, Our parish uh, had not had Catechesis of the Good Shepherd uh, until about four years ago uh, when I did my first training. Our priest asked me to up our ante and increase our atrium presence within not just the parish but with the school. Uh, because he really feels uh, he has a deep heart for the family, um, but he really wants to touch the littlest. And so, one of the things that we did was to create it in a toddler—it's it's a toddler space, but we call it our mother in uh, mother-child room—so um, that mothers can have a comfortable place to go and nurse their babies. And this room is actually created for. Uh, nursing mothers, but as well as, as small toddler children up to three years old. It's used during mass, but it's also used while I'm in uh, the atrium with uh, our level one and level two children. And we've had some very interesting things happen um, that I think are really beautiful. And had I not been through the infant toddler training, I would have not known how to set up this room. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for the training and for Elizabeth for sharing her wisdom with us. Um, but we one of the things that we put in uh, Our toddler, our our mother-child room, uh, which is a toddler environment, um, is a red fabric box. It's separate and different from everything else. It's set aside on a small table, and it contains the very basic articles of the mass. And it's interesting to me to see children go and put that together, to take the things out, and they handle them very carefully and set up their own uh, little altar area. We also have a green, small, round rug in our area near one of the chairs. And we have some small, And albeit they're not the wooden sheep like we see in our normal Level 1 and Level 2 atrium. Um, they're actually small, realistic-looking plush sheep. And I had one little girl sitting inside the sheepfold with the sheep and she had taken the Montessori rainbow puzzle And she had created her own sheepfold around her and the sheep. And she played there for quite a long time. Um, So it was really a beautiful, you know, as we reflect on what does the child need and what does the child want. They want to be in the sheepfold. They want to be a sheep. So it was a a really beautiful um, thing to witness.
0: Cool. That's really
2: cool that you've been able to
0: adapt it as a spiritual formation for that room. I love that. That's a really cool idea.
2: Like I said, it's nice because we can. It's multi-purpose room. It's it's used both by our um, our parish mm-hmm. during mass, but also for our families that are awaiting. You know, the we've never had anything for our younger children while they waited with their parents for our atrium sessions. So they may not be in there for the entire hour and a half. Uh, they might be in there for 15 minutes. I've had some moms say that they couldn't pull their children out because the mm. materials were engaging to them. And we also have a lovely, our adult uh, director of religious education comes in. She'll do a Lectio with the parents while they're waiting on a couple of our sessions. And it's interesting for them to actually observe the child. They'll sometimes stop during their Lectio and observe what the child is doing to see, you know, they'll recognize that there's something coming out of the child. That's actually where we saw the child setting up the Mass.
0: Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. We are delighted to announce that a new seminal infant toddler catechesis formation course sponsored by the United States Association of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd will begin on April 18th through the 25th, 2021. This will be part one of the course. This formation will be held at the CGS USA Scottsdale office at the Our Lady of Perpetual Help Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. More information, including how to register for this formation, will be coming soon, so watch our website for those details. If you go on the website to the tab that says Learn and then click Find a Course, you can find information about any Level T courses that are planned. Don't forget to order your copy of The Good Shepherd and the Child, A Joyful Journey, so that you can read along with us for our four-part book study starting on July 8. Look at our show notes for a direct link to purchase this book. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. We want to thank all the contributing members of the association because you are making this podcast possible. If you want to know more about the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd or to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you for joining us. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.